Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text hope NY in New York. I don't think it's a stretch to call this the game of the year. Tennessee is going to Athens, Georgia to play the Georgia Bulldogs. Georgia is an eight and a half point favorite. This game opened at nine. So it's gone down a half point. This is to my understanding likely to be the highest ranked matchup ever played in Athens, Georgia between the hedges. Everything is set up perfectly. Three thirty Eastern kickoff. Right smack dab in the middle of your college football Saturday. It's going to be a beautiful thing. I said it to open the show. This is a playoff game. So you can have all the conversation you want about expanding the playoff. This is a playoff game. Tennessee coming into this game. Main thing is still the main thing for them. They wanted to get to Atlanta. That's why Henry Hooker came back. That's what Josh Heupel put in front of him when he said he was coming back. They're still just quietly confident. Business as usual. Big win last week against Kentucky at home. They said... Same thing's the same thing. Business as usual. Job's not finished. Never too high, never too low. They're ready for this one. Like, I know there's a lot of conversation around Tennessee and how quickly it's come together, and it's year two under Josh Hype. What doesn't make sense? I think this Tennessee program's for real, and they have a chance to prove it to the rest of the country this Saturday against the Dogs. Now, the Dogs, they got some hardware, right? They got that ring on their finger from the national championship a year ago. They're out for that SEC title. Like, like they're out to get that. That's what they want to get. And Kirby Smart issued a challenge to the entire crowd in Sanford Stadium and just said, basically, if you can talk the next day after this game, you didn't yell out enough. And keep in mind, this is coming from Kirby Smart. Like Kirby Smart, no nonsense. Focus all on the internal, block out the external. Went out of his way 
to ask the crowd to be a factor in this game. So you can rest assured the environment will be second to none. And like we talked about, very much a no-nonsense kind of program. They're just on that mark to get back to Atlanta. And they have that sort of Saban-esque culture about them. Obviously, Kirby Smart being a Nick Saban disciple, go 1-0 every single week. But you know there's a little bit of extra juice to this game. You know there's a little bit of an extra edge that they're going to be playing with. You can say all the right things on both sides of this. You can say all the right things, just another game, another week. Uh, no, this is the game of the year. This is probably the game of both these programs, to this point at least. History in the regular season, maybe we're reaching, but we're not far off. What are the hinge points in this game? We've had over 1,000-plus of you in the last few days join the program. So, one, thank you. Two, what is a hinge point? Well, it's how we break down the game. Regardless of what the, the outcome is, we think these hinges are kind of the, the determining factors to that outcome, if you're keeping up with me. So hinge point number one for us, who gets the push? The line of scrimmage, everyone's talking about it. We're no exception to that. Who gets the push at the line of scrimmage? Because Tennessee, they're averaging right around four and a half yards of carry, and Kirby Smart said it right after the Florida game. He said, they throw the ball so well, Tennessee does. They get those splash plays. They get Jalen Hyatt running wide open downfield. Yes, because of how they scheme it up, but also, in addition, because of how well they run it. They make you commit more guys to that run game. Same thing for Georgia. On the flip side, they're a little bit more of a pass-first kind of program. They're averaging 37 attempts a game, if you can believe it, with what Georgia does. If they can be multiple, if they can win at the point of attack and run the football on a good Tennessee run defense who's given up less than 100 yards a game on the ground, right around three yards a carry, that's going to allow them to change the way this game is played. Because if Georgia can be multiple, well, then in that sense, they're able to get into more of a track meet. They will have a better chance, at least, to keep pace. And that's, I think, what I want to get to. When we talk about winning the line of scrimmage, yes, it's important to momentum and the gameplay and asserting your will on the other program. But what I think it comes down to more than that is allocating resources. Because you know if you've watched Tennessee offensive football, they scheme it up, they spread you out, and they make you commit a certain number of guys to stopping the run. So if Georgia can do that with a minimal amount of players, if they can win those one-on-one -on -one matchups and win at the point of attack and still be able to keep who they want to keep back in the secondary, that's going to limit explosive plays. That's how Georgia wants to live. Now, however, if they can't do that, and it's a matter of we got to add in a safety, we have to bring that overhang player, whether it's the outside linebacker or a rolled down strong safety, we got to add them into the box. Well, that's more green grass for Tennessee. So the point of attack, the line of scrimmage, we talk about it so much because of what it translates to. Explosive plays for both programs, but especially Tennessee. So that's the first hinge point. Also worth noting, Nolan Smith reported probably just a few hours before we got on air uh, is out for this season. Huge loss for that Florida, excuse me, for that Georgia defensive line. He didn't, excuse me, he got hurt in the Florida game last week. So big loss for Georgia. We'll see how they can recover from that kind of a loss. Again, Nolan Smith not playing in this game. Second hinge point I'm looking at. Stetson Bennett is going to have an enormous role in this game. You're saying no, duh, starting quarterback for Georgia. Of course, he's going to have a big role in this game. Well, let's take it a step further. When Stetson Bennett is in the kind of crunch time situations, what do you get out of him? Do you get first half Stetson Bennett from the Florida game where He's slinging it around. He looks comfortable. He's pushing the ball downfield effectively. Or do you get second half Stetson Bennett? 
where he puts the ball in harm's way. The offense kind of sputters. You allow the other team to kind of recalibrate, get back into the game. That's going to be crucial because if he's, if he's efficient and the Georgia offense can kind of hum a little bit and score at the rate they want to score at, again, that allows them to keep pace with Tennessee. Even more so, I think it allows Georgia to throw some haymakers in this game. It allows them to bring the right hook, the left hook, and kind of pour it on and force Tennessee to then keep score with Georgia. Imagine that kind of a game playing out. Imagine Georgia gets up by a touchdown, 10 points, and Tennessee has to answer scores with flip the entire complexion of this game. But if you get bad Stetson Bennett, and you love him and hate him for the kind of the gunslinger mentality he can have at times, if he puts the ball in harm's way, well, then that flips back towards Tennessee. And if it becomes a track meet, again, we have our pick on this coming in just a few minutes, but if it becomes a track meet, that's going to favor Tennessee. I'm just keeping it at that. They score quickly. They score in bunches. And that's not the kind of game you want to play where you spot them, let's just say, two possessions. Not the kind of game you want to play if you're Georgia. Final thing I'm looking at with this whole thing, who wins the chess game? Specifically, between Glenn Schumann, Will Muschamp, the kind of defensive side of things for Georgia, and then Josh Heupel. Obviously, the Tennessee offense. Because Josh Heupel... You know it and I know it. He is a Hogwarts grad when it comes to what he does drawing it up for Tennessee. Like, there's a reason they got guys running wide open downfield. There's a reason Jalen Hyatt is having the season he's having. It's because of the matchups they create and the fact they've been able to really set things up for those explosive plays. They're a step ahead a lot of the time. Now, flip the script the other way. Georgia is going to have the most team speed that Tennessee has seen yet this year. How does that impact this game? How does that impact the chess game? Because with what they do at all three levels, how quick they are, that's going to allow them to, I think, be more flexible schematically against Tennessee. Like Georgia could get away with some things that other teams just can't in terms of the kind of pre-snap alignment they take, where they put their linebackers, where they put their safeties. For how quick they are, they can afford to gamble a little bit because of that talent. So does that pay dividends for Georgia and allow them to kind of confuse Tennessee? Or is Josh Heupel a step ahead yet again and able to cash in and able to kind of draw in Georgia this way and then, bam, hit him with the explosive play the other way? Something to watch for. The game within the game to me is fascinating. Again, between Josh Heupel and the defensive side of things for Georgia with Will Muschamp and Glenn Schumann. The X factor, I think it goes without saying, for Georgia offensively, Brock Bowers. If Brock Bowers can kind of have the impact he had a week ago against Florida in this Tennessee game. That's kind of the, the situation you'd like to avoid if you're Tennessee. So how do you match up with him? Do you match up with him? Is it by committee? Because this Tennessee secondary is coming off their best game of the season, making Will Levis, who is projected to be a first-round quarterback, they made him look like a seventh-round undrafted free agent kind of guy. Again, I'm not a draft guy. I'm just saying that was the kind of performance they forced Will Levis into having for a Tennessee secondary that's had a lot of criticism directed their way, whether it's fair or not. So let's get to the good stuff. Our prediction for this game. Tennessee hasn't scored less than 34 all season long. Georgia is the reigning defending champions. They've been there. They've done that. They got Kirby Smart. They got Stetson Bennett. They have experience on their side on that side of things, right? Now, the defense is extremely talented, elite in some sense, but they're still, it feels like to me at least, getting their sea legs completely. And that's probably a first world problem for Georgia because they're still one of the best defenses in the country when it comes to points per game. 
So that's going to be a matchup to watch. Here's what it comes down to for me. I am not a Stetson Bennett hater. I am farthest thing from it. I was previously. I was converted after they won the national title. They can win with Stetson Bennett. However, with this Georgia program, I have seen on multiple occasions kind of a stop-start mentality. They get rolling, and they kind of sputter, and then they get going. And like I've seen different personas from this Georgia program. In short, I've seen some inconsistency. From Tennessee, I've just seen them put their foot down on the gas pedal, continue to roll, and what it comes down to at the end of the day, we're just going to trust our eyes. I think it's a shootout. I think the environment is absolutely bonkers. I think we have an absolute classic. And you may get some Chase McGrath magic here at the end of it yet again. I think the Vols win this one in Athens, 41-38. to 38. The Vols get it done in the game of the year. Folks, if you haven't yet, subscribe to the channel. That's going to be so fun. Like, that's going to be an absolutely unbelievable game. Could go either way, but again, like I just said, we're going to trust what we've seen as opposed to what we believe Georgia has under the hood and what it could be. Golly, Athens is going to be on fire. Like, at the kick of that game, that place will be going nuts. Vicariously living through everybody that's watching this right now that will be at that game. Going to be a whole lot of fun. All right, we got 426 of you watching. One, thank you. Two, if you haven't yet, join the party, subscribe. Two, jump in the live chat. Hit us with your questions. Nick Brake is about to get on this program here in just a few short minutes and read some of those out. Don't want you to miss out on that. All right, we'll have a real good time. All right, this is not fun, but we got to do it. Auburn, very publicly, had a awkward scenario going on with Brian Harson where Tried to get him fired in the offseason, swung, missed, awkward all the way through SEC media day, uh, awkward around the Missouri game where they're like, we're going to fire him if they lose this game, find a way to win the game. Anyway, it finally came to an end, probably best for both parties if we're being honest with ourselves. It was a toxic relationship. Auburn deserves better. Brian Harson deserves better. Both things can be true. But now you have a vacancy at in my opinion, one of the most intriguing and, when it's humming, best jobs in America. But I will say this. The Auburn head coaching vacancy is very much so similar to, like, living in the state of New York or living in Alaska. Now, what do I mean by that? When it comes to living in the United States, you can be happy in just about every state if you have the money to live that way. Same thing with college football head coaching jobs. If you win, it can work anywhere, right? Like, like that usually does the trick. Brian Kelly was getting all this conversation in the offseason about he doesn't fit his, his fake accent. He's not going to do anything there. Well, it's working right now in year one. We'll get to that in a second. But you catch my drift. If you win, it works. I think it takes a little bit extra at Auburn. Like living in the state of New York and living in Alaska, you can have money and live comfortably there, but... How many of you know, you kind of got to be a fit to live in one of those states. Alaska's got that crazy deal where you've got daylight for, I don't know, how many hours a day at some point in the summer. Shout out to all our Alaska viewers. Uh, New York, traffic is crazy. Cost of living is crazy. Pace of life is crazy. It just takes a certain kind of person to handle it effectively. Same thing with Auburn. The Auburn job, if you win, they will love you, and that's a great thing. But to get that job and to be a fit from the jump, 
You gotta be able to handle the extracurriculars, gotta be able to handle the powers that be, have to be able to handle the SEC. Like there's a lot of extra things that come with this job. So I kinda wanna go through three names right now that are being thrown around frequently in most hot boards, most circles, and just kinda give you my thoughts. The name that we have heard the most is Lane Kiffin. And it's fair, right? He's kind of the portal king. He's 23 and nine during his time at Ole Miss. And in some way, shape, or form, you say, okay, Lane Kiffin's a perfect fit for Auburn. Knows how to handle the SEC, would recruit. Like, that all on the surface makes sense. Here's my concern when it comes to Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin brings his own set of extracurriculars, if you will. There's his own sort of things that... I think play into effect with what he would be as the Auburn head coach. There's there, there's sort of a little bit of a, a an acclimation period, right, to getting on board with Lane Kiffin. And I just wonder if I'm a booster at Auburn and it's shown that there is a sort of desire they have for what their head coach looks like and acts like and does and all that. I wonder if Lane Kiffin wouldn't ruffle some feathers with some of the things that he does, whether it's press conferences, whether it's social media. Like, I just am curious to how that would play. And my feel on it is that's kind of a storyline waiting to happen. So I'm not saying they won't hire him. I'm not saying he wouldn't be great there. I'm just saying that gives me some pause in regards to all the Lane Kiffin conversation. All right. Matt Rule, another guy that in a lot of ways makes a ton of sense. Proven track record was in the NFL for a period of time. Proven track record at the college level, rebuilt multiple programs, most recently Baylor. I mean, they were a dumpster fire. He got him back to a New Year's Six Bowl. Matt Rule could be a good fit, right? Same thing that we're talking about, though, in terms of the, the external, excuse me, the, the extra piece that comes with the Auburn job. I've been around Matt Rule. I was in his program for a very short period of time. He would be, in my humble opinion, a 2X version of what Brian Harson was. He's an elite presenter. I think he would recruit well. He's a phenomenal evaluator of talent. But when it comes to what this Auburn beast would be, he is very much so structure. We do things my way. We do things how, you know, I say they're going to be done. I am the law. And he doesn't like having other hands messing around with his program. And at Auburn, that's kind of the nature of the beast. You know it and I know it. Brian Harson knows it now. I don't think Matt Rule would necessarily love that. Now, there has also been murmurs and, and rumors about, hey, he wants the job. He would take the job, whatever. I'm not here to talk about that. I'm just saying I get the appeal. I have pause as to how they would mesh. I think, again, you're just kind of hiring a Brian Harson that's been more places and done more things. I'll leave it at that. Deion Sanders, the third name I want to jump into here. He is one of the most intriguing candidates because of what he would probably bring for you in recruiting for what he's done for Jackson State is phenomenal. I think it's a tremendous feat already in, in what he's done there in his short time in Jackson State. And there's been a lot of conversation about he wants to get to the Power 5 level, interviewed for multiple Power 5 jobs, was apparently really impressive when he interviewed for those jobs. But my concern is the experience factor. Deion Sanders, as, as great as he's done from a wins and losses perspective, hasn't necessarily gone through the same ringer that some other coaches have to get to this point. And that's not a knock on, Deion, on Deion Sanders. I mean, NFL Hall of Famer, right? Like, you can probably understand why there's a different evaluation happening here. But I'm just saying, typically, the, the you know, 
trajectory is you're a volunteer, maybe a GA, work really hard. Maybe you get a position coaching job. Then maybe you get to be a coordinator. Then maybe things fall into place where you get a head coaching job and work your way up from there to an even bigger head coaching job. Well, Deion Sanders coached high school, is now coaching at Jackson State, and you're going to throw him into the Auburn circles? You're going to throw him into the SEC like that? I think that's a big jump. I would love for him to get more experience at Jackson State or love for him to take maybe a smaller Power 5 job, if that even is fair to say. I would just say this when it comes to Auburn. With the prestige of that program, with the brand that Auburn is, with all of the potential around that program, like I said, when it's humming, I think it's a top five job in America. Now, it's one of the most difficult jobs in America, but I think it's a top five job nonetheless. If you're Auburn, you don't have to take a risk. Like, as Auburn, you can afford, both metaphorically and literally, to take a swing on a name that's big, that has a proven track record in a similar field, and can handle everything that comes with it. You don't need to take a flyer. And I think in some degree, that's what Deion Sanders, in my humble opinion, would be. Not saying it can't work. I'm just saying that's my cause for concern. So I'll give you two names that I do feel good about. The first of which is Hugh Freeze. Been in the SEC, done more with less at Liberty. He's 33 and 12 as a head coach. I think he gets what it takes to be at Auburn. And so for that reason, I think Hugh Freeze is an interesting name and a name that we should continue to talk about. Now, the snag there maybe is Liberty just re-upped his contract. Maybe that's more expensive to get him out of. Not here to talk about all that. I'm just saying Hugh Freeze, for my money, would be a good get. Now, here's my number one guy for the Auburn job. You ready? Bill O'Brien, offensive coordinator, quarterbacks coach for Alabama, the biggest appeal to me about him, yes, I think he can recruit. Yes, he gets the SEC. Yes, he's from the Saban school of coaches that get rehabilitated into a Power 5 head coaching job. My biggest compliment to him would be that he is a high-capacity individual. I mean, for goodness sakes, guy was an NFL GM at one point, was also an NFL head coach. I think he could handle the beast that Auburn is which is really saying something because there's not many people in the world, much less coaching, coaching circles, that could handle what that job requires. So Bill O'Brien, for me today, gets my vote to be the next head coach at Auburn. But I'm telling you, if you're Auburn, swing for the fence and make these guys say no, all right? Because you're going to have a lot of options. So excited to see how that plays out. But if you haven't yet, follow Josh Newberg on Twitter. He does a great job tracking everything going on within coaching circles with recruiting. He does a really great job. So follow him. Also subscribe to the channel. He has a show on here, the inside scoop, absolute banger every single time. So make sure you check that out. All right, let's get back to this Alabama LSU prediction. Shall we also, if you haven't yet subscribed to the channel, would love to have you all along for the ride. Alabama goes to LSU this coming Saturday, death Valley under the light seven Eastern time. Alabama is a 13 point favorite. LSU been playing some really good football. There is a, a sort of swagger about LSU right now because they are a different team than what showed up against Florida State during week one. Like they've now kind of caught their tempo, it feels like, especially offensively, scored 45 points each of the last two games. Jaden Daniels looks like a new man. He's now the catalyst behind this offense. A lot of reason for excitement around LSU right now. And the thought within LSU circles is, hey, why not? Why do we have to stop this momentum here? Let's keep rolling. 
as the old saying goes, we want Bama, right? Now, for Alabama, they are in hunting mode. Took that L to Tennessee, and they just absolutely imposed their will against Mississippi State. And I think the most dangerous thing for anybody is a motivated Nick Saban team. And that's what I believe you have right now in this matchup, a Nick Saban team that is out for it, all right? Hinge points in this game. Who lands the first punch? Because we've seen LSU at multiple points throughout the year have a slow start, battle back, be gritty, find a way to get it done. That's not the kind of way you want to live against Alabama. They're averaging 43 points per a game. And if you spot them 10, if you spot them 14, that's a really tough race to try and catch back up in. They're much more potent than some of these other offenses that you've played against. You need to make sure that you draw first blood, get the crowd into it, whether it's a turnover, whether it's a big hit on special teams, whether it's a touchdown. Find a way to land that first punch on the jaw and kind of re-even uh, re the playing field, if you will, because that's going to be crucial in this game. Because like I said, if you don't, if you wait till the second half to readjust, and Matt House has done a phenomenal job defensively for that program. I mean, Harold Perkins, certified dog. They got a lot of guys on that program that are going to be playing on Sundays. On the defensive side of the ball, B.J. Ojolari, absolute hound. But if you wait till the second half to adjust, it's not going to be a, hey, stop the bleeding situation. At that point, it's going to be, hey, stop the bleeding, but both your arms are chopped off. It's not a situation you want to have. Second question for me in this game, what happens when LSU puts the ball in the air? All right, what happens when Jaden Daniels, as he's done lately, unhitches the wagon and puts the ball up for insert receiver name here? I think there's three you got to look at. Kayshawn Boutte, Dre Jenkins, Brian Thomas. Both Thomas and Jenkins are a little bit taller in terms of kind of the big body wide receivers that LSU has. Alabama has shown on multiple occasions when the ball is in the air, they have not consistently played it well. They've grabbed jersey. They have gotten to the receiver too early. They have not gotten their head around, whatever it is. And that typically will drive pass interference penalty. I don't expect this to be any different if that's the way this goes, if that's the way they want to play the ball in the air. And if that happens, again, 15 free yards, first of all. Second of all, there's also the opportunity for a big play. And if they can get some big plays, like we talked about going back to who lands that first punch, if that can be the counter that LSU has to the run game is being able to put the ball up in the air, well, then this game gets a little bit interesting. Then you start to put the pressure back on Alabama. Again, Death Valley starts to get louder and louder, and you feed that powder keg, and it starts to set on fire. That could be intriguing. All right, something to keep an eye on. On the flip side, let's say that Alabama plays the ball well in the air. Let's say they're able to kind of have a no-fly zone kind of mentality, air traffic controlled. The secondary steps up to the challenge. They've heard all the chatter. They've heard people like me on the mic talking about what's the Alabama secondary going to do, and they just zip our lips. Well, then you force LSU to be more one-dimensional. Then you ask more of Josh Williams, and you ask more of Jaden Daniels in the run game. You ask that offensive line that's playing two true freshmen to be the unit that forces the issue. I'm not saying LSU can't win that way. I'm just saying that's the way that Bama would prefer to play this game. And that's the odds they feel a little bit better about. And it definitely limits the tempo of this game. It takes that explosive element much more out of it. It does not favor LSU, to be clear. That definitely favors Alabama. Third thing we're looking at, who tees it up better for their quarterback? And Bryce Young has got a lot of guys around him. They have needed 
in some scenarios, superhuman efforts from him. Look at the Texas game where he really willed that team to a win in Austin. Look at the game against Tennessee where he did just about everything he could and then some to make that team competitive in the closing seconds of that game. Do they help him? Is it Jameer Gibbs able to kind of carry the load a little bit more? Does the wide receiving core take a step up and allow a little bit more explosive plays to happen downfield to give them a lighter box? Does the defense, heck, does the defense create some more turnovers? Do they create some shorter fields? Because if you're just leaning on Bryce Young, I'm not saying he can't do it. I'm just saying that's not the kind of game you want to play if you're Alabama. With how well you've recruited, with all of the freak shows on your roster, it's time for some of those guys to assist Bryce Young. And if they can be multiple in that sense, it's going to be a long day for LSU. And that allows them to be more potent offensively. It allows the gameplay to totally shift. LSU has to play catch-up, try to keep pace with you. It's not the kind of game you want to play. All right? So that's important. I would argue it is more important for LSU to assist Jaden Daniels. Because Jaden Daniels is very, very good. He's done a lot with his arm, done a lot with his legs. He needs this team around him to play really well. Probably their best game of the season on Saturday night. I'm talking Josh Williams has to probably be close to 100 yards yet again, and this defense has to get after it from the jump. They have to turn off that water early because if, if they're able to avoid that recalibration period where Alabama gets up by 10 and then you're on the sideline trying to adjust and figure it out, well, then Alabama can just kind of stretch that lead while you're trying to figure things out. They're scoring more touchdowns. Not the game you want to play for LSU. So for Jaden Daniels, you need very complimentary football to be played around you just because of how good that Alabama personnel is. I think it matters more for LSU, not saying they don't have good players. I'm just saying as a program, as a product, they're a little bit further along. They've got some guys that scare you, namely Jameer Gibbs along with Bryce Young. So here's our prediction for this game. LSU is going to be a good football team. Brian Kelly has got that thing headed in the right direction. We have said it before on this program. If you're an LSU fan, it's like when you get on an airplane for the first time, you're on the tarmac. Are you already upset that you're not at your destination? Or are you happy to be on the plane going the right direction? I think this is one of those games where you get to have a good litmus test. How far along are we as a program? How far off are we in year one? Done some really good things so far. We talked about it at the early part of this segment. They've done some really good things. With that being said, I think the personnel of Alabama and I think the gameplay Alabama is going to be able to implement is going to be, at the end of the day, too much for LSU. I think Jameer Gibbs has a big day. He's averaging seven yards a carry. If he can be close to that, it's going to favor Alabama, needless to say. I think Alabama is too multiple. They end up winning this game. I think they win by 10. So I don't think they cover. I think they win this game 31 to 21 in Death Valley. I'm very fascinated, though, to see just how far along is LSU. Brian Kelly knows how to win. Like, there's a few things that are certain in this life. Death, taxes, and Brian Kelly's going to win you football games. How long does that take in Baton Rouge? I think it's ahead of schedule. I've gone on record saying that. feel the same way about it still. This game will be a really good test to see just how far along are they against the standard for the last few years in college football. Folks, if you haven't yet, subscribe to the channel. Would love to have you along. We have a party. Let's keep it rolling. If you haven't yet jumped in the chat, jump in the chat. Nick, breakkeeper of the queue, going to get that thing rolling here in just a few short minutes. So get your questions in. Texas, 
goes to the Little Apple this coming Saturday against Kansas State. Texas coming off a bye week, took a tough L in Stillwater, Oklahoma to Oklahoma State. Texas is a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Yes, I said that correctly. Texas is favored in this football game, even after everything that happened a couple Saturdays ago. Kansas State, however, is flying high. That same Oklahoma State team that beat Texas, well, Kansas State pretty much just took them out back, gave them a good old-fashioned whooping without Adrian Martinez. Let me stress that. Without their stud quarterback, 9 a.m. So, for Texas, that bye came at the exact right time. Got to kind of hit the reset, got to find a, a chance to sort of reassess internally, get healthy where they needed to get healthy. This is a very big game for them. This is a game where I think we get to see just how far along that culture is. Because that's something we continue to reassess, right? Hey, is this new Texas? Is this old Texas? This game will give us a good picture, in my humble opinion. For Kansas State, like we said, they dominated in Oklahoma State last week, 48-0. to zero. They're riding high, all right? They're, uh, they're feeling pretty good about themselves for good reason, for the kind of game that they played. Deuce Vaughn is a freak show. It sounds like Adrian Martinez will be, at this time, I would imagine a game-time decision again was a game-time decision last week. I don't know how that quarterback situation is going to be handled. We'll touch on that at the end. So the first question for me in this game, can Texas get off the mat? Because if you want to have one loss turn into another loss, that's kind of been the thing we've seen from them in previous years, right? It's been the snowball effect. You lose one game here, and then you kind of start to segment some parts of that locker room. The culture turns out that it actually is rotten, and you just get absolutely taken to school, right? Like, that's what we've seen from Texas. However, I tend to believe that Texas, from a star's perspective at least, is the more talented program in this game. So Texas can win this game if they play to their caliber, if they play to their standard, but again... Are you able to get up off the mat? Are you still thinking about Oklahoma State? Are you still pointing fingers about whose fault it was? And actually, I, I don't want to, you know, hear what you have to say anymore. I'm going to do things my way. That's not the kind of formula that's going to win you football games, needless to say. Kansas State, on the flip side of things, from my estimation, they played really well as a unit. Played really complimentary football. Averaging or only giving up 20 points a game. So they're stingy on defense. They hold the ball on offense. Like we said, Deuce Vaughn, he's going to get a lot of touches. They're going to kind of dictate their tempo to you. They're going to play physical. That's who Kansas State is. So if Texas doesn't show up united, doesn't show up playing the kind of brand that they now expect in the new Texas, it's going to be a long day. So Texas getting up off the mat is a crucial hinge point in this game. Riffing on that, who plays more complimentary football? Like we just said, Kansas State, they're going to be multiple in the run game especially if they get Adrian Martinez, that whole read option game will be huge. Again, don't know if he's going to play yet at this point in time, but if they have that read option game working with whoever's at quarterback and Deuce Vaughn, good things happen. Because then you can't just key on one guy, right? Then you start to say, okay, do we have to commit to 22? Are we going after the quarterback? Who's it going to be? And you start guessing, and then that translates to big plays to Knowles. That translates to the explosive pass plays that start to hurt you. And I promise you, we'll set the little apple absolutely on fire. You want to avoid that. Also, the defense. Talking about complimentary football, the defense wreaks havoc. They're averaging right around two takeaways a game. They can create havoc. They can create frustration for Texas and cash in and hold the ball and get seven instead of three. 
It's going to be a long day, so you want to avoid that. Talking about complimentary football, that was one of the big pieces we talked about for Texas when they went to Stillwater. And they kind of teed it up for themselves. Bijan Robinson had over 100 yards against Oklahoma State. Uh, Quinn Ewers went a smooth 19 for 49. It's not a typo. That can't be the case for Texas because there was plays there. There was plays to be had. It wasn't all on Quinn Ewers. The wind was absolutely ridiculous. But if Bijan Robinson can, can, can turn in that kind of performance again, if he can have a good day on the ground yet again, after he got to be rested, hit the ice bath, have the fresh legs, if he can turn in that kind of performance, you better not leave money on the table if you're Texas. Because you got guys that can take the top off of defense. Xavier Worthy being the main one. Jatavian Sanders over the middle has got to be a presence. Got to hit the plays that are available to you. If they can be complimentary in that sense, put the pressure back on Kansas State. So that's crucial for Texas if they want to have a chance to win this game. Final thing I'm looking at, how, how clean is this game? Because if it gets messy, like we talked about, Kansas State, they like to take the ball away. They do it pretty effectively. That puts the, the, the pressure back on Texas, right? Like we talked about kind of a game of who puts the pressure on who. And if they're able to do that, well, then they can hold the ball. They can make Quinn Ewers watch. They can cause that Texas sideline to get frustrated, impose their will running the ball. The turnovers are going to be crucial. If it ends up being a clean game, well, then you're not talking so much about field position. You're talking about who can answer scores. And this Texas offense, regardless of what you saw in Stillwater, Oklahoma, they can put up points when they're on. Averaging right around, I believe it is 36 points a game. That'll be good enough. Okay, let me just stress that. That will be good enough for Texas if they bring their A game. But you got to keep it clean. Got to have a clean pocket for Ewers. Can't turn the ball over. Certainly can't do what you did against Oklahoma State in terms of giving the football away. I'm just curious to see how clean this game ends up being. Because I think it pretty clearly favors either side, depending on how the gameplay ends up being. So here's our prediction for this game. Minus two and a half Texas, huh? That line to me screams that somebody knows something. I don't like the spot for Kansas State after winning the game 48 to zero last week. I think that emotions are high, potentially too high. And I think Texas actually plays with a chip on their shoulder. I think we see more proof this is a new Texas program under Steve Sarkeesian. I think Quinn Ewers bounces back. And I think the explosive plays for Texas are ultimately too much for Kansas State. I think Texas wins this game. I think it's close. I think Texas wins this game 30-27. to 27. It'll be a fun one. I'm excited to see what happens for Kansas State at quarterback there. Hope they can get healthy. Hope they can get right. But again, we think Texas wins that game. Folks, if you haven't yet subscribed to the channel, would love to have you along for the ride. It's free, costs you nothing. We won't bug you. All right, go ahead and subscribe. Last preview and prediction for you. Clemson goes to South Bend, Indiana to play the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Clemson, a four and a half point favorite. And let's just call a spade a spade. If Clemson can get over this hurdle, we've talked about the ACC hurdles, right? And how they've got to clear those. I feel like they've cleared most of those. Louisville can get interesting. So we'll talk about that when that gets here. But for the college football playoff, this is the hurdle you have been staring down since you got your schedule, Clemson. The bye week was huge. Because you remember the last time we saw them, there was all that controversy about DJ and Cade, and DJ still our quarterback, but Cade came in and gave the offense new life, regardless of his stats. And, and I think it was good for them to get out of the spotlight. I truly do. 
didn't play their best against Syracuse, had some calls go their way. Regardless, all their goals very much still in front of them. For Notre Dame, a lot of people wrote them off. After that Marshall loss, said, ah, Marcus Freeman, see ya. Guess that didn't work, right? Like that was a lot of things that were said about them. They're still a good football team. Won four of their last five, and I promise you, they are salivating. Having one of the top programs in the country coming to their house in front of their home crowd and touchdown Jesus, they are welcoming this challenge. In their minds, I would imagine this is a chance for them to reintroduce themselves to the world. And for Marcus Freeman to have a signature win in a lot of ways against one of the top programs in the country. This game's pretty simple. Let's not overcomplicate things. Who's more physical? Who's more physical in the trenches? Wes Goodwin, defensive coordinator for Clemson, came out and said it this week. A lot of times you get coach speak and kind of politically correct, sort of, you know, they're good. We'll try to do this, this, and this. He was pretty upfront. He said they're going to try and run the football and try to get the ball to Michael Mayer. It's, it's that simple. If we can stop that, we win the ball game, is more or less what he said. One, just love for him being so upfront. Makes everything much more simple. He knew it. Notre Dame knew it. But that's really the formula for them. Notre Dame running the football 60% of the time. Audric Estime, five and a, excuse me, five and a half yards a carry. Clemson, on the flip side, that front seven, they haven't been super consistent all year long, but only given up three yards a carry. Something's got to give. Immovable object. Meet unstoppable force. They will try and win this game up front. Both programs will. On the flip side for Clemson, they want to lean on Will Shipley. Needless to say, the quarterback situation gets a little bit more interesting. The plot thickens, right? I think DJ is still very firmly the starting quarterback. With that being said, I think the margin for error for him gets a little bit slimmer. And that's what I think the next thing for me is, is when it comes to this game. Notre Dame allowed less than 100 yards each of their last, or excuse me, three of their last five games. If you do have to lean on DJ, if it does become a matter of, hey, DJ, win the game for us, what kind of DJ do you get? Does last week sort of rattle him or his game against Syracuse? Rather, does that sort of rattle the cage for him and he starts to regress back to 2021 DJ, gets a little bit timid, doesn't take the shots downfield he needs to, or do we see him take all that external noise, throw on the Beats by Dre headphones, you know what I'm saying, those old commercials, hear what you want to hear, play with a new swag, a new chip on his shoulder, big Cinco come out slinging, and just silence the doubters on the road at Notre Dame. Because if you remember, his first start was actually against Notre Dame. Played pretty well. I'll leave it at that. You can YouTube the highlights, but he played pretty well. So I'm curious to see if DJ doesn't have kind of the start that he wants to have. Is it, hey, first interception, Cade, you're in the ballgame, or do they allow him to play through his mistakes? I would hope it's the latter, because for him to have some adversity, overcome that, play well, get a win in South Bend, would do wonders for his confidence in this game, yes, but the rest of the season for Clemson. To know that, hey, I'm the guy, they're going to ride with me, I'm capable of overcoming this in-game adversity, that would be huge for the program. In this game specifically, though, I'm fascinated to see what his approaches what kind of dj we get because if he does revert back and he does turn the ball over well then you're in a dog fight at somebody else's house not a good deal for clemson now here's the backbreaker here's what i think is kind of just the ultimately deciding factor in this game drew pine is a very serviceable quarterback he has not been bad by any stretch of the imagination this year are there some games where you wish he played better sure 
I mean, just ask Tommy Reese. It was well documented, the whole phone call thing. Do your job with some extra words mixed in there. We're all counting on you, whatever. That was pretty public, but I think he's been pretty solid all year long. 13 touchdowns, four interceptions, 61% completion percentage. He hasn't really crashed the bus too frequently. With that being said, Clemson's weakness, quote-unquote, where you could probably try and beat them is the secondary. And as good as Michael Mayer is, I don't know that Drew Pine's the guy to expose that. I don't think that he's the guy that's going to be able to put the pressure on Clemson. That's kind of just the way that this goes. So I think the offense for Clemson has to do something. They can't just be out there and say, defense, go win us this game. The offense has to bring something to the table. I think they will. I think Clemson actually wins this game. DJ plays a better game, a more clean game. I think Will Shipley gets leaned on yet again after the bye week. Hit the cryogenic chamber at the, at the ice bath got his fruit smoothie he's ready to roll I think Clemson wins this game in South Bend 31 to 17 and if you're keeping track that would be for a lot of people's money the last college football playoff hurdle that Clemson will face until the ACC title game so keep an eye on that all right the best part of the program we love it you love it like I said the best thing we do here you join the party. You've been diligent in the chat. We appreciate you in advance for that. If you haven't yet subscribed, we'd love to have you at this party permanently. We've had several thousand of you do that over the last couple of weeks. Thank you. But now, please welcome to the function, the man, the myth, the legend, the heavy lifter, Nick Brake. Nick, how are we doing, my guy? JD, man, there's a lot of people watching us today. I'm going to start getting nervous. Um, 463 people. You got ice in the veins, though, brother. Yeah, I mean, whatever. No, I'm, I'm ready for days. Hey, look, JD. I never thought I'd see this. A question regarding WKU in the chat. Um, fellow Hilltopper in here, he says, will North Texas, uh, since they beat the Hilltoppers last week, are the Hilltoppers going to beat Auburn? Uh, thanks for joining us, Jamar. Uh, no, they're not. WKU will not beat Auburn. They are a bad football team. Uh, JD, let's get to the real football questions hey, we'll see now. Cadillac Williams, interim head coach. We'll see, you know, do they, do they play inspired or do they? I mean, John Kuzieski. Also at Western Kentucky, shout out Coach K. He was a <laughs> running back coach at uh, at Cornell. But, you know, we'll see. Don't write off the Hilltoppers just yet. <laughs> what we got, Big Nick? Yeah, we'll see. We'll get to the real questions, like I said. Uh, first, good question. Uh, so, obviously, a lot of Tennessee fans in here. Um, I feel like this is a question we've been asked a lot. Uh, but Jay Ward says, J.D., uh, do you believe Tennessee make the playoffs? You know. Yeah, so here's the deal. We picked Tennessee to beat Georgia. And this game against Georgia is effectively a playoff game. So the rankings are going to come out tonight. Everyone's going to have an opinion. They're too high. They're too low. It's all going to settle out in the regular season. It always does. Let it happen. But if Tennessee beats Georgia, I firmly believe the winner of that game will have a playoff spot. Because think about it this way. Even if you win that, or if you win that game, let's say you go undefeated, you get to Atlanta. Let's say you take an L to Alabama, right? No shame in that. You're a one-loss SEC runner-up probably need just a little bit of help, but I think you have a hard time getting left out of the playoff. At the very least, there's a very strong argument to be had, and I think you get in. So that's my thought on that, though, Nick. There you go. Um, next question comes from G. Smith. Hey, J.D., do you think Clemson is for real or fraudulent? Good question. Fair question. Very fair question. So I think to this point in the year, and someone asked us this the other day on one of our radio hits. If you were to 
ask me today, do I think Clemson is a national title contender? I'd have a hard time saying yes. Just the fact of the matter. Like the, the way that Clemson played against Syracuse gave us a lot of pause, gave us a lot of cause for concern, and rightly so. So, riffing on that, Clemson always plays their best ball in November. They always peak at the right time. So are they a title contender today? Probably not. I don't think so. Could they be, though, when it times, you know, for Selection Sunday? I think that's very possible. So yeah. are they for real right now? No. Do they have potential to be for real? I would say yes. What are your thoughts on that, though, Nick? You have a, you have a take here? I Look, I was so wrong last week, and I'm going to go ahead and admit I, I said that uh, Florida would cover uh, last week against Georgia. They did not. I don't think so. Uh, I also said Kentucky would play close against Tennessee. Sorry, Falls fans. That was really dumb of me. My inner Kentuckian was speaking. So, but I'm look, I'm going to go ahead and guess this week that no one's going to be talking about Clemson anytime after Saturday because I think Notre Dame's going to win. Um, you know, Nick, Florida may have actually covered in that game. Did they really? I think back so. I, I cover? Like check what the line ended up being at the end of that, but I think Florida may have covered. So. Well, since we got rid of our office uh, betting lines that we've been looking at, you know, I'm Look, I haven't been paying attention to the to the to the lines as much. But uh, next question, you're all business. <laughs> all business. Yeah, now I'm just watching the game. All business break, baby. Oh yeah. Uh, this next question comes from Fingies. Um, he says, "On three, who do you think's gonna win the Natty?" Golly, subscribe to find it's a, out, brother. It's a big one. Subscribe yeah. to find out who do I think's gonna win the Natty. I'll tell you this: I think the winner of Georgia Tennessee has a very strong case to being the front runner. Let's just say that. I mean, Ohio State, Michigan is going to be fascinating. Cannot wait to watch that game. Uh, who do I think is going to win the Natty? Stick around and find out. We're not going to call our shot just yet because if we did call our shot, everyone would jump on us and say, you know, this, that, and the other. And then when we do eventually pick our national champion, there yeah. would be a conversation. Uh, I'll say this. Preseason, we had Alabama winning the whole thing. Uh, Preseason, we also didn't know how good Tennessee was going to be. So we'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that, Nick. But I think the winner of Tennessee-Georgia deserves to be the front runner going forward. Okay. That's a solid answer, J.D. You should run for office. Yeah, I could, you know, I could, <laughs> I could, I could, uh, I could sit on a fence. I could sleep on a fence. You could. The trick is to do it face down. <laughs> That's some planking. Yeah, you know uh, so uh, another good question. Jay Ward wants to know, says, ask J.D., who has a better game Saturday, Bijan or Deuce? Wow. So that's a good question statistically mm -hmm. I would I, I lean B. John Robinson we think that Texas is going to win the game I don't love this spot for Kansas State Kansas State is still a really good defense but I'm gonna take Bijan on that one I'm gonna take Bijan Deuce Vaughn kind of a different I don't know if a different caliber player is the, is the right word they're kind of a different skill set in some regard they both do a lot catching the football both do a lot running the football I just think Bijan with what he brings from a power perspective will have a better day but I mean, we picked Texas to win, so I don't think that that's yeah. too much of a surprise, Nick. I like Bijan on Saturday. Okay. Hey, this next question's from Matthew Poole. Um, he he said it in all caps, so it's either he had caps lock on or he screamed it. I'm not going to scream it on the show, but he says, Ask JD, all caps, do you think Tillman will make a big difference in the game um, this weekend? <laughs> I do. I do. And I think that's one of the things that we're not talking about enough. Everyone's saying Jalen Hyatt is the man, and he is the man. He's got like 13 touchdowns. He's a dog. Also, Brew McCoy, he stepped up in a huge way with Cedric Tillman out. But remember, Cedric Tillman is that safety blanket. He was on a pitch count last week, to my understanding. We'll be curious to see how they manage him in this game. But I think Cedric Tillman's going to have an impact. I think he catches a touchdown. And, and at the very least, you have to honor him being on the field, right? You can't just double Tillman, can't just double Hyatt, can't just double Brew McCoy. And if you do want to double one of those guys, 
well, then someone else is probably open. So I do think, at least in that regard, he'll mm -hmm. have an impact. But I do think statistically he'll be good for a touchdown, in my opinion. J.D., uh, we're going to have to get in the uh, DeLorean time machine and go ahead Let's to the future it. because Jamar Munchnep uh, is asking us something that we'd have to be time travelers to know. He says, is there a scenario where Georgia, Tennessee, and Alabama are all 3-1 and one and they all make the playoffs? <sighs> yeah, so to answer your question, yes, there's a scenario where that happens. Uh, you would need chaos elsewhere around the country. So is there a scenario that exists for that to happen? Yes. Maybe we do a video on it this coming week. Uh, however, I don't believe that will happen. I think two is is probably pushing it a little bit. That's even assuming that Alabama ends up winning the SEC. But I, I'm going to go ahead and say I think that you probably get one, maybe two teams. Three is a lot to ask for. Also, just think about, Nick, how much the public doesn't like the SEC. Like if you're not from the southeastern side of the United States, you probably have a little bit of a disdain for the SEC, and that's okay. But there would be riots across the country if they put three of the four teams in the playoff from the SEC. Yeah. Good good point. Um man, I, I would hate to be in that in the in the playoff committee right now, wouldn't you, J D? Yeah, I mean, I think the hardest time to rank them is like the very first rankings. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the year, I, I mean, I feel like we always have a pretty good idea of who yeah. it's going to be. Like, I don't mm -hmm. remember the last time we had a huge, like, surprise on Selection Sunday. Well, hey, stay tuned tonight, everybody, because we're going to be uh, recapping our thoughts uh, for the rankings uh, later on tonight. Uh, we've got a lot, so many great questions, J.D. Do you care if we do a few more? Let's do it, brother. Also, okay. I want to make sure I get this note in here, folks. We are live on Tuesdays at 2 Eastern. We're also live on Thursdays at 2 Eastern. Yes. So when you finish up, go ahead and hit the bell or make a note on your calendar. Come back and join us at 2 Eastern on Thursday. We have a lot of good talking points. Get the chat fired up just like this. So subscribe, hit the bell, 2 Eastern, Thursday. We'll see you right back here, 1 Central, for all our Central Time folks. But yeah, Nick, let's do it, brother. I love it. Let's get in a few more questions, baby. Okay, yeah, we got, I mean, I'm talking like some really good questions. Let's do it. Especially the most recent one. Um, I guess... Uh, some some fan mail we're getting, JD. Uh, so this one is coming out from Rocky Top nine two seven zero. Says add on three. Who's the current coach of the year? I think he has someone you want to. He wants you to say. It's hard to argue with the man. I mean, Josh Heupel in year two, in year two they're having a playoff kind of season. Like that's the conversation we're having around Tennessee right now, and. I was talking to Austin Price today over at VolQuest, our Tennessee on three site. If you haven't yet got a membership there, would encourage you to do so. They do a great job, but it's just, it's like, it's kind of just like ridiculous slash hilarious how quickly they have revamped at Tennessee. Like you're not supposed to go from seven wins to complete, to competing for a college football playoff. That's not the, the typical process. It's supposed to be like, okay, you're one, take your lumps, get to a bowl game. Amazing build recruiting classes, eventually get there, and then boom. Maybe year four, year three, you pop and have a college football playoff kind of year, but they're doing it, and they're doing it in the SEC, which is saying something. So uh, I think for me it's Josh Heupel. I don't know that it's really a super close second, but we'll see what happens this Saturday. We're going to go ahead and temper expectations, but if we had to give the award out right now, Nick, mm -hmm. I don't think it's even a doubt Josh Heupel gets that hardware. I'm saying like a lot of really cool questions here in this clump. This next one from Nomad Sports at JD. Do you think there would be more tension in the West if Kiffin was hired? Wow. Yeah. So I think 
I think there would be more tension, to, to be honest. I mean, you, I gave you my thoughts on Lane Kiffin. Uh, there is still, for whatever reason, a little bit of a mixed opinion as to what he was doing at Ole Miss. Like, after all of his assistants left, it was, hey, look out, Ole Miss. They're going to be, you know, they're going to be a team that has a huge drop-off, and there's still some games left to be played, but we haven't seen that at Ole Miss. I've seen Kiffin just continue to trend upward. He's 23-9 and nine there, I believe, so he would absolutely add some tension, and I think the biggest thing for him is what he does in the portal. Like, he's proven he can go to portal like he goes to Publix and gets what he wants, so in that way, 100%, it would add some tension, without a doubt. Okay, three questions. You good with that? I'm, lo- I'm man. I got all the time in the world. I, I know look, where to I be. do too. Hey, all day long. We could be here for five hours. Um, so this is a really cool question um, from Nugs. Uh, do you think we will see a mass exodus from Texas A&M in the portal? Absolutely. I really do. I tweeted it out. I said College Station is going to be a domino that falls when the portal opens up. And some of that isn't necessarily super surprising. Like there's there's portal moves everywhere across the country. You won't just see it at A&M, but especially with how well they've recruited, just by nature of the way the world works, you have a lot of those kids that were five stars and they're not necessarily seeing the results they wanted to see just yet. And so I hope it's not, you know, any an enormous exodus, but I do think it'll be a pretty substantial amount of players that jump in the portal from Texas A&M that seek greener pastures. So it won't just be A&M, but you will absolutely see a lot of portal movement around College Station, Texas. Yep, awesome point. Garrett Bauer says three Auburn players have already hit the portal today. Uh, good point, Garrett. Um, this is a this is a good question. Hey, look, Landon Dawson says, "Hey, JD, I'm a huge fan of yours. What's the prediction on who gets in championship game? Who gets in the championship game this year? And do you have any score predictions? You've already said you don't want to reveal your champion, but can you at least narrow it down to two teams right now, JD? Sure. Yeah. Let's let's take a stab at it. So I'll say this on the front end: uh, we reserve our right to change this at a later date. So everybody that wants to clip this and put this wherever and kind of troll us, that's fine. But just know this is kind of what happened on the front end. If I had to pick today two teams that would be on a crash course to get to the national championship, I mean, we picked Tennessee to beat Georgia. So we already think that they're going to be a team that ends up getting into the playoff, likely. Uh, I think whoever they draw in that first round, they may end up getting in as well. I think Ohio State may be the most complete team in the country right now with how well that defense is playing. We did a video on that today as well. So let's go ahead and say, just for the sake of this question, also, Landon, we appreciate you and your kind words. Uh, Mm -hmm. We think Tennessee and Ohio State meet in the national title game, and uh, we'll leave it at that. That would be a phenomenal game, though, Nick. I would hope that you and I make our way out to L.A. for that game because that would be an absolute blast. I'm in. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Okay. This is a great question, man. Um, I think I can answer it for you. Colin Craig, will Nick Brake ever has a, have as big of arms as you, JD? <laughs> no, I'm not going to. Well, I mean, you, you do the heavy like – we, like we do a different role in the different day-to-day. So also, I'm also older than you, which, I mean, there's different <laughs> I don't think uh, age biological here. things that happen there. So um, never say never, though, Nick. Never say never. That, that's kind of that, – I, I don't really know how, how to feel about that one. That's uh, – that's that's kind of uh, calling to say. <laughs> 148 pounds here. You guys can't see in this little box, but no, I'm not going to be ever, ever be strong. Unfortunately, no, pure um, muscle though. 148 pounds of just pure fury. Yeah, we'll we'll say know? that. We'll say that. Hey, one more question. Uh, Landon Dawson says on Cloud Nine. Thanks for answering, JD. Uh, Landon, keep joining the show. Uh, we appreciate having appreciate, appreciate having you, you here. Um, 
Well, I guess the last question sort of escaped me. I found it, though. Um, I love it. Again, folks, we're back here Thursday, 2 Eastern. We're not ending the show just yet. We got one more question, but make sure you join us at 2 Eastern. Again, we're going to go back to the live chat. This is how we get down every single live show, Tuesday, 1 Central, 2 Eastern. Thursday, 1 Central, 2 Eastern. All right, so make sure you don't miss that. Subscribe, hit the bell, follow me on Twitter and Instagram. Do a lot of fun stuff there, Nick. While you're looking for that question, we do a lot of fun stuff there. We do you know, a little, little uh, Friday Q&A kind of session on the Instagram. We do polls on the Twitter, post a lot of snippets. Like We have a good time on both those platforms that we just, quite frankly, don't have the you know function to put on the YouTube channel. So make sure you, you follow me there. We have a real good time. And of course, if you're not subscribed, we'd love to have you all along mm -hmm. for the ride. We, we, got, uh, we got that one more, Nick. I found it. Yeah, it Let's was... Let's do it. It was kind of hidden amongst a lot of uh, hook'em emojis and um, Tennessee chatter. Uh, Levi Miller says, what do you think about UGA not having a night game? Does that mean all year? Sure. I mean, I think he's talking about for this Tennessee this game. game. Okay, I was going um, say interesting. What do we think about it? I mean, I don't know that I have a super strong opinion on it. Um, quite frankly, I love the 330 Eastern kick. I, like, I think there's something romantic and exclusively college football about that just a packed out Sanford Stadium between the hedges it's gonna be electric games played under some sunlight and then by the fourth quarter it gets a little bit darker like I don't have a problem with it I understand the desire for a big game like this to be night game and to have the lights and all that like I think that's phenomenal too so if if there was some you know objection to have to it I would understand that to the same token I don't think that the Georgia faithful will be any less quiet because of the timing of the game. So I think the crowd will still have the same kind of impact, but it's going to be a fun one. The game of the year, Nick, without yep. a doubt, that is the game of the year. Yep, absolutely, man. Good deal. Is that Can't about wait. do it, Big Nick? That does it. Hey, a lot of other good stuff in there. If we didn't get to your question, come here on Thursday and ask again. We'll get it to we'll get to you that time. Uh, yeah, that's it for the questions. JD, I love it. it's all yours. I love it. Y'all, thank you so much for tuning in. This is an absolute blast. This is a dream for myself. This is a dream for Nick. To be able to do this, to have this interaction with y'all is what makes college football so special. And we cannot thank you enough for being a part of this community. Because again, that's what drives this sport. The NFL has their thing. The NBA has their thing. College football is about the people, about the communities, about the fabric of the sport that make it up. And that's why we love it. Also, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this before we get off air. We're on podcast. So if you like Apple, how about them apples? To quote Goodwill Hunting, we're there. If you like Spotify, we're there as well. Make sure you join us. Subscribe to that. Give us a five-star review. Might even be something we go to in the future, Nick, to go get some questions from the podcast feed. So we'll see y'all there. Again, we're back on air. Thursday, 2 Eastern, 1 Central. We're going back to the live chat. So if we didn't get to you today, if we didn't get to you today, we will do so on Thursday. We love y'all. We appreciate y'all. And keep the party rolling. We will see y'all next time. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets.
Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Fanduel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York.